Would you stand with me as we read the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want you to remain standing and pray with me. Once more, we're going to ask God to demonstrate his presence in our midst. But I do want to end this time together praying what has been called the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer. If you know that, you can just recite it with me. If not, those words will be on the screen. Let's pray together. So, Heavenly Father, once more we've gathered in your name. And we just want to say, wow. Because your name is glorious. Your name is mighty. Your name is grace and mercy and justice and holiness. Your name's worthy of the worship that we've given you. So in your presence, we, we don't have to ask you, as we sometimes do, to be somewhere because you are here. So give us what we need, Lord, that we don't have. Teach us just as clearly as you taught on that hillside that day. And then change us. Lord, may none of us walk out the same. May we all walk out changed. Lord, for someone, may that be the forever change of heaven. May you give eternal life to someone who hears these words. And specifically, Lord, ignite a passion within us to communicate with you. Teach us to pray, even as you taught your disciples when you prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You can be seated. Would you give God praise as you're seated today?
Good morning, church. Glad that you've chosen to be here. Would you say thank you to my friend from a lot of years, Mr. Charles Billingsley? Would you say thank you to him today? God has given him such a wonderful instrument, and he has used that instrument for God's glory for a lot of years. In fact, I can remember as a child listening to Charles sing. <laughs> I really have been friends with Charles for a long time. It was back in the last century, Charles, that you came to one of the churches that I was serving, and we were waiting on you, waiting on you, and waiting on you, only to find out you'd gotten locked in the bathroom there at the church. So. We're grateful that that didn't happen today. We're picking back up a series that we started last year called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. It's the words of Jesus. We're in chapter 6, and, and Jesus began this chapter with a shift in his message He's beginning to talk about spiritual discipline, so it's very fitting that we start the year talking about that which gets us in shape spiritually, our, our spiritual disciplines. He talks about giving, our stewardship. He, he talks about prayer, where we'll focus today. He talks about fasting, where we'll spend some time next weekend. But in doing this, he makes something very clear. He wants us to understand that our motives matter. So I want you to hear that today. Your motives matter. I don't know why you've come in today. Maybe it's to check a box. Sometimes that gets us to where we need to be. But in our culture, in, in this country, there's a lot of folks that have kind of bought into something that some call cultural Christianity, which is checking a box, going through some motions, having some activity spiritually in our life that doesn't necessarily co correlate with the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary and, and surrendering to his lordship in our life. Historically, that's what it means to be a Christian. So Jesus was not saying, hey, do these things and look right. He, he was saying, how you do these things makes a difference. That's how this chapter began. Look at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, you have a warning, be careful, but you also have a promise. Intrinsic in that statement is the truth that there are rewards for us when we do things His way. Now, I can remember as a child being rewarded for making the right choices. That's okay. I, I want the rewards that God has to offer. But Jesus is saying in these disciplines in your life, if you're not careful, you may get your reward here. People may praise you. They may look to you and say, good job, big guy. But you won't get the reward from your Father in heaven. So think about that as we get to this part where Jesus is talking about how to pray he begins in verse 5, and when you pray, we have to stop because Jesus made quite an assumption there, didn't he? He assumed that we pray. Now, why would Jesus assume that those who were gathered around him, his disciples, prayed? Well, they were his followers, those who did what he did. So Jesus prayed. 
In fact, as you look through the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of Luke, you can see that Jesus' life was bathed in prayer. Luke 3, he prayed at his baptism. Luke 4, he prayed before his temptation. Luke 5, he often went to a place to be alone and pray. Luke 6, all night he prayed before choosing his disciples. Luke 9, he prayed before asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? In Luke 11, the disciples said, Jesus. Teach us to pray. Interesting, they didn't say teach us to do those miracles like turning the water to wine. That was really cool, Jesus. Teach us to preach or communicate like you know. They said, teach us to pray. In Luke 18, Jesus taught his disciples to pray always. In Luke 20, he promises Peter, Peter, I'm going to pray for you. And by the way, Peter, you're going to need it. In Luke 22, he commands his disciples to pray so that they won't fall into temptation. And in Luke 23, hanging on the cross of Calvary, the very last words that Jesus utters before breathing his last breath was a prayer. He cries out to God. Jesus' life was bathed in prayer. But it's not just the example of Jesus. We have the example of the early church. Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts, known as the Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, or the Acts of the early church. And Acts chapter 1 begins with the followers of Jesus gathered. And guess what they're doing? They're praying. In Acts chapter 2, you know what happens? The church is born. And in Acts chapter 2, when the church is born, it says that they devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 4, Prayer came as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 6, it says that the apostles necessitated that their lives be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. In Acts chapter 9, Peter prays for the sick. In Acts chapter 12, the church prays for Peter to be released from prison. In Acts chapter 13, there's praying for the church to raise up missionaries. In Acts chapter 14, the church appoints elders, and they do so through prayer. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas pray while they're in prison. What I want you to hear today, if you're going to be like Jesus, if you're going to model the Christ life that we saw in the early church, you're going to be a praying person. Jesus bathed his life in prayer. The early church was covered in prayer. But as someone has said, I fear today that that which was fundamental in the early church has become supplemental in the church today. My challenge for you is to simply hear the words of Jesus and determine to pray like it matters. Pray like it makes a difference in your life. Because it does. Prayer connects you to the power of God Do you understand that, Christ follower? Prayer, talking to God, connects you to his power. You may not understand that, so let me illustrate it. I I left mine backstage, but most of us here, um, we have a cell phone. We have some device that tethers us to everything else in the world. Some of you are addicted badly. But here's the problem with those little devices They lose their energy. They wear out. The power is drained from them. Because some of you stay on it all the time. And so sometime during the day, you know what you need to do? You need to find that power cord. 
and you need to plug it into one of those little blocks or bricks that sometimes they're called and put it in that outlet in the wall so that the power that's coming from the source can go through that cord and get to your phone. Now, maybe your house is like my house where a lot of people inhabit the house. And so no matter how many of those power cords that you buy, no matter how many of those little bricks or blocks that you go to the store and buy, you can never find one when you need the power. Can we just stop and pray for me? (laughs) But you understand what I'm saying? You, You have to plug into the power. Prayer is your avenue to the power of God. But some of you, man, you go through a lot of motions. You even come to church. You may pick up the Bible and read God's Word. Way to go. But you're missing out on what Jesus taught us about the power that's available through prayer. When you understand that, you're going to look at the words of Jesus in this passage differently. It's not just going to be something that you've memorized, but you're going to understand he's teaching you how to tap into the power. I'm going to try one more way to illustrate this. My dad, my dear old dad, he could do anything. Man, I don't know how he, he, he got it, but, and he had all kind of tools, and if, if something was broken, he, 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 would, he could fix it. If, if something needed to be made, he, he could make it. I mean, he was a handyman, and praise the Lord, he didn't pass any of that down to me. I mean, not a lick. I mean, nothing. I mean, so if, if I need to do something hard in my house, some, some work just to kind of keep things up and to, to, to build the house up, something like a, a changing a light bulb or something like that, I'm going to go on YouTube and watch one of those do-it-yourself videos. Have you, ever, have you ever found those? It's amazing. You can just Google, how do I, and then just ask, the, and it tells you some dude has gone on to YouTube And you press play, and there he is going, hey, everybody. So you want to know how to fix? And he'll tell you. I know this because my dryer broke down. And I thought, oh, no. What am I going to do? And then I remembered that. And so I Googled, how do I fix? And I put the name of my dryer in there. And guess what? That dude was there. Hey, man. Understand, you want to know how to do this. This is how you do it. Church, that's what Jesus did in the model prayer. It's as simple as that. He was saying, this is how you do it. Say that with me. This is how you do it. One more time. This is how you do it. He's saying this is important and this is how you do it. This will literally save your life. Now, a few years ago, we spent six weeks going through verse by verse, just the prayer part of this. We did it in detail. 45 minutes every time. We can't do that today. We're looking at this whole passage. It's more like you're in an airplane. This is a 30,000 foot view. So I'm going to just blow by it. Some of these familiar words I'm just going to say a couple of sentences about. But I want you to see that Jesus was telling us this is how you pray. Now he began this way. Jesus taught us some defining principles about prayer. Before you ever get to that part you memorized, Jesus taught us something that helps us understand, hey, here are some principles about prayer. Look again at his words. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Someone who says one thing, but does another thing. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue. So these hypocrites, man, 
They prayed in front of everybody. They know the words. I love our church. Man, we've got folks from about 70 different nations. And this, this service today, there's five different languages that this is being translated into because it's English, and, and then there's Spanish, and then Mandarin Chinese, and then Creole, and then American Sign Language. I had you, Mimi. That was number five. So I, I'm just telling you, I love our church. But sometimes I look out at our church, and I see people like, I don't, I don't know the words to this. I don't know the churchy language. And I love that that's the kind of church we are. That you don't have to know something that everybody else learned in vacation Bible school or Sunday school. But let me flip it. Jesus was saying, even if you do know the words, I'm not impressed just by the words. In fact, he says, truly I tell you, you've received your reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father as unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. I mean, Jesus said that don't keep babbling. Don't keep just running your mouth. For you think you'll be heard because of your many words. Do not be like them. Do you hear that? Jesus was saying, these religious people that you see, don't do that. And then he says, by the way, your father knows what you need before you ask it. Have you ever met people that, I mean, they're talking to you just like this, and all of a sudden they're at church and somebody says, hey, will you pray for us? And they say, sure, I'll be glad to be. Almighty heavenly father, thou art far away from me and divine and holy. And they just start talking in a different language than you've ever heard them say. I mean, you're like... That's not the, I've never heard you say thou in real life. And yet something about church makes us think that we've got to put on an act. And Jesus was saying no. So let me just give you three simple things he said about the principles of how to pray. Number one, he says, pray with humility. You know, Scripture has a lot to say about coming before God with humility. In fact, one of my favorite verses I, I learned in a song as a teenager. In Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we, we would sing it. It was, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And you know what the next line was? And he will lift you up higher and higher. Well, Scripture has much to say about humility, but Jesus was saying, some of you folks, you don't understand this. And so when you pray... It's like you want everybody to look to you. You want everybody to see you. You want everybody to hear you. And that's a problem. Because it's not about you. Now, what Jesus was talking about was prayer outside of the synagogue or outside of the temple. And in those settings, you would have had people that gathered to pray with a prayer shawl. Maybe like this one. Um, it'd be interesting sometime just to teach through the prayer shawl because there's a lot of meaning. Like here uh, you have five knots, and these five knots remind us of the, the five books of the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so there's a lot of, lot of meaning here to the prayer shawl. But 
I believe what Jesus was describing is it's kind of people that would come in. And, man, you knew it when they arrived. Because when they arrived, I mean, they were large and in charge. I mean, they're like, no, 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 no. I mean, and so Jesus was saying, no, that, that's, that's not the way to pray. In fact, in fact, he said, really, when you pray, you kind of should go into private. Great, great things take place through secret prayers, what Jesus is saying. You know, some theologians take what we've read there in Matthew 6, and, and some of us, we hear that, and so like churches have prayer rooms in them, and some of your houses have a prayer closet, and that's a good thing. That's great. But you know, some theologians think that what Jesus was saying, instead, take that prayer shawl and go into your secret place. The Lord hears you, even when no one else does. Some of you, you're scared to pray because of these kind of people. You hear them pray in their flowery way. Or maybe just with sincere passion and you think, I can't do that. And Jesus was saying, no, I I just want you to be you. Pray with humility, but also pray with sincerity. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't act like one thing and then pray another. If prayer really is just talking to God, you you don't have to have a special voice or you don't have to have special words. In fact... He would rather you just come to him as you are. But then he says, not just humility and not just sincerity. There's a third principle. He he said, pray with certainty. You you should go boldly before God when you pray. Why? Because he already knows what you need. Isn't that exciting? I mean, we serve a sovereign God. We teach that regularly in here. He's never caught off guard by the things in your life. He knows what's going on. So pray with that confidence. Jesus taught us about the defining principles of prayer. But then he began to teach us about the divine pattern of prayer. And that's the part we memorized. That's the part we said at the end of our prayer. That model prayer. That pattern of prayer. It's not long, is it? 56 words. Nothing wrong with, with praying long prayers if, if your heart's right and everybody else around you is okay. I grew up and we had family devotions. My dad was a pastor. My mama is a prayer warrior. Please don't tell her. Mom, when you watch this, we're going to blank out my next words. I promise there were many nights where everybody else but her had fallen asleep. Because she was just pouring her heart out to God. And there's nothing wrong with long prayers when your heart is right. No prayer is a wrong prayer when your heart is right. But Jesus was teaching us that you don't have to pray a long prayer. 56 words in the Lord's Prayer. The Gettysburg Address, 266 words. The Ten Commandments, 297 words. The Declaration of Independence, 300 words. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, 1,667 words. 
There was a government order setting the price of cabbage, 26,911 words. You know, words don't make the difference is what I'm trying to tell you. So these words of Jesus were a pattern for prayer. Now, I grew up in church, so I really did learn this at church. How many of you have memorized that model prayer that we said a while ago? You've memorized it? No, don't feel bad if you haven't. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you memorized that somewhere other than church? You didn't memorize that at church. You memorized it somewhere else. Right, because when I was growing up, there were all kind of places where you prayed this prayer. Did you know when I started Little League Baseball, all the boys would gather around in a circle before every game. We'd put our hand in the middle, and we would always pray the Lord's Prayer. Same thing with Little League football. And then often after we would say amen, that coach would say something else that wasn't part of the prayer. And I'm not sure the two went together, if you know what I mean. It really wasn't anything spiritual. It was just something that had become a religious ritual. I don't want you to think about this as something you learned in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or something you learned in the locker room or on the football or baseball field. I want you to imagine for the next few minutes that you're there on that mountainside and you're at the feet of Jesus and he walks through these 56 words and you're thinking about what this means to you. Our Father in heaven, you have a heavenly Father. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been adopted into God's family. And that means you have a heavenly Father. Christ follower, you have a heavenly Father. That's a big deal. That changes everything. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. I think Jesus was saying, learn to look at everything through the lens of the holiness of God. If I live with an awareness of how holy God is, it's kind of hard for me to get caught up in self. It's kind of hard for me to walk through the streets saying, everybody, look at me if I'm really aware of my Father in heaven who is holy. He's really speaking of who gets the glory in your life, right? It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat, sleep, drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God It's saying to God, every time I come before you, God, my story for your glory, that's what I want, my life to bring you more glory. When God's name is holy in my life, things begin to change. That's why this is at the beginning of prayer. When my understanding is of the holiness of God, then my needs begin to be met. My forgiveness is unleashed, and I experience deliverance. But it all starts with his name being holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you really understand that? That Jesus taught us to pray in such a way that that which is unleashed in heaven can be unleashed in your life, in your little corner of the world. But it comes when you're focused on his kingdom. 
why I try to talk about that a bunch in our church. I didn't hear about the kingdom of God a lot growing up. And yet as I read the scriptures, you know what it talks about a lot? The kingdom of God. I'm doing my Bible reading through the whole Bible again. I'm in Matthew. And man, just in the very first gospel, every time Jesus opens his mouth, he's talking about his kingdom. And then I'm also in the book of Acts. And I'm seeing the early church. And almost every chapter in the early church, we see concern about God's kingdom. And yet, as I look around at those of us who profess to have a Father in heaven who is holy, there doesn't seem to be a lot of emphasis on his kingdom. Oh, there's emphasis on kingdoms, our kingdoms, the kingdom of our preference, the kingdom of our opinions, the kingdom of our traditions, the kingdom of our politics, the kingdoms of the color of my skin. We can come up with all kinds of kingdoms that drive us, that motivate us, that is what we live for, that are not the kingdom of God. When we understand that his kingdom must reign when we understand the kingdom our agenda changes priorities change in our lives let it be no different let it be no different than if I were face to face in heaven let it be no different than if I were face to face in heaven let it be no different than if I were face to face in heaven. See, the problem is we really struggle with the whole God's will thing. Because if I'm submitting to his will, that means I have resigned from my will. Right? But don't you get it? See, that's the core of what the Christian faith is all about. It's not about praying a prayer. It's not about being Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or Episcopal or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Assembly of God or non-denominational, fill in the blank. It's not about going to church class or First Communion or Confirmation or being baptized, whether you were dipped or dunked or walking down an aisle or raising your hand or praying a prayer 3,000 times. No, it's about coming to the place where you understand that I can't rule and reign and let Jesus rule and reign in my life at the same time. I'm either going to live according to my will or his will. Sometimes they work together. We're usually smiling more when that's the case. That's what the psalmist was talking about when he said, commit your ways to the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He's not saying, hey, you can just ask for the desires of your heart regardless of the consequences. No, he's saying when your will is with his will, guess what? The two align. But when there is a conflict between my will and God's will, the will of the king must come first. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You'll never effectively ask for God's provision and protection until you first acknowledge his rule and accept his reign in your life. So just a quick question to do an evaluation. Because notice we haven't even gotten to the part of the prayer where you start asking for stuff yet. Is the king first in your life? How do I know, Pastor Paul? Well, do you give the king the first hour of your day? Do you give the king the first day of your week? 
Do you give the king your first fruit? Are you a good steward of what he's given you? Those are just some samples. One of the best ways we can know and do God's will is to begin to pray scripture. And so I just want to personally invite you, my favorite service of the week, I love Sunday morning, there's a lot more of you come on Sunday morning, but my favorite service of the week is House of Prayer, it's on Wednesday nights at 6.30, and you know what we do at House of Prayer? We pray the scriptures. Why do we pray the scriptures? Here's what I believe. If I'm talking to God based on something that originated in heaven, I think it's more likely that heaven's going to hear an answer. Did you follow? God's word is God-breathed. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. If I'm praying his word, I'm going to pray his will. And so on Wednesdays, we teach you how to pray his word. All right. Give us this day our daily bread. That's where we start asking for stuff. But wait a second. It's just today's stuff. It's the daily bread. Kind of that stuff I really need. I, I want you to see that this really is a cry for desperation. It's okay to cry out to God in desperation. The problem is that's where some of you began. It's, it's that 911 prayer. You start there. Rather than acknowledging that you have a Father in heaven who is holy, who is the King of kings, who has a will for your life, instead of that, you just jump right in and say, Oh, I'm desperate. But it's okay to be desperate. In fact, Scripture teaches that our God will supply your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But He wants you to focus on this day. Say this day. day. You need to say that again because some of you aren't. Say this day. day. One of the things that's messing some of you up is you're focusing on tomorrow. You're focusing on next week. You're focusing on what you're going to do when you graduate or what you're going to do when you get this paid off or what you're going to do when this doesn't work out. And he's saying, focus on this day. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Boy, you know what that tells me? I need daily forgiveness. You need daily forgiveness. Those of us who meet here regularly, we do it each and every week. And man, we get pumped up. Mama Sandra, isn't it good? We come in here and we walk out going, yeah, I'm ready to take on hell with a water pistol. And then sometimes we don't get out of the parking lot before we sin. We say something, we do something, we think something. We need forgiveness. And we need to be forgivers. That's why I love Ephesians 4.32. I say it almost every time I get a chance. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. What? Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiven people forgive people. Lead us not into temptation. This is a big one too. Did Jesus know anything about temptation? This means yes, he did. Luke tells us that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, goes into the wilderness And he encounters Satan. And Satan gives him everything he got. Jesus defeats him. He withstands. He's tempted, the Bible says, in every way known to man, but he does not sin. And then he leaves full of the Holy Spirit. You want to know the secret to standing in the midst of temptation? Being full of the Holy Spirit. 
But Jesus knew what it was like. That's why the half-brother of of Jesus, James, says in, in James chapter 1 and verse 13, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, when they're tempted, are dragged away by what? Their own evil desires, and they're enticed. And then after desire, this is what happens when you give in to temptation. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Man, you want to you fight temptation. And the last place you ever want to be is the, is the person that's saying, Well, I'll tell you what, bless God, that could never happen to me. Some of us have been around a few years. And there are people that I thought, man, if only I could have a ministry like that, if only I could have the impact that they have, heroes of mine, and they gave into temptation. Man, help us, Lord. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. You know there's an evil one? There's an enemy, the same one that tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He's after you and your mama. Now, he's a defeated foe. I've read the back of the book. We really do win. But he's after you. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 4, 27, do not give the devil a foothold. Deliver us, Lord. I'd go to that passage in Ephesians 6, and I would just pray it every day. Oh, God, would you just guard me with that belt of truth? God, would you give me the breastplate of righteousness? Would you allow me just to have that helmet of the confidence of my salvation placed on my head? God, would you help me to stand in the shoes of the gospel of peace? Oh, Lord, would you help me to have the sword of the Spirit so that I can withstand the attacks of the enemy? That's what we do when we come to God in prayer. Now, there's different ways you can do this. Jesus is just giving us a pattern. Again, this wasn't intended to be a ritual that that you do and then do something with your hands or hold some beads. No, this is a pattern. There's all kinds of patterns. One of the patterns I I like takes that word acts, A-C-T-S, and it just goes through four things that we can do regularly in prayer. This is simple. If I were you, I'd grab pen, pencil, lipstick, Crayola, mascara, your thumbs, or something you can write with and write this down. Adoration. That's how God began. That's how Jesus began this prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. It's what we did earlier in this service. Your name is holy. Your name is grace. Your name is mercy. Your name is powerful. Just, I'm going to adore God. Why? Because he loves it. Raise your hand if you like it when somebody says something nice about you. Sure you do. And you were created in the image of God. He likes it. Adoration. Confession. That's coming to God daily and asking for forgiveness because you need it daily. Confession simply means agreeing with God about your sinfulness. Thanksgiving. It's looking around your corner of the world and realize you're blessed. No matter what's going on in your life right now. And some of you are walking through some hard stuff. But no matter what's going on in your life, you're among some of the most blessed people in the world. And then you get the supplication, which just means the asking of God. So you're asking God, hey, I need help in these areas. I need this daily bread. I'm fighting this temptation. I need deliverance from the evil one. And Jesus was saying, this is how you do it. He started with defining principles. 
He then gives us this divine pattern. But Jesus also taught us about the dynamic power of prayer. Remember what I said earlier about the power cord? There's power in prayer. Prayer is how you tap into the power of God. Now, some of your translations, it's weird because you feel like, man, the Lord's prayer ended and I thought there was something else because it just ends with deliver us from the evil one. And if you've got a note, you might notice it says, hey, in the earlier manuscripts, that last part's not always there. Some of the manuscripts, it says, if you're reading from the King James Version or the New King James Versions, it, it ends this way. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Is it okay for us to, to hold on to that as truth? Yeah, because that's consistent with the other things that Scripture teaches. Is his the power? Yeah. Is his the kingdom? Yeah. Is his the glory? Yeah. For how long? Yeah. Forever. So be it. That's what amen means. So it's okay to say that. Jesus was wanting you to know that the power of God is accessible to you through prayer. Did he tell us that anywhere else? Thank you, one of you. Yes, he did. Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For some people who ask, for everyone, say everyone. everyone, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know what it says right after that? Jesus says, and by the way, have you, have you ever seen a father whose hungry child is going to come to them and ask them for something to eat? And the father is going to say, no, nah, get out of here, boy, you don't need nothing. No, he says, of course, the father, a loving father, is going to care for his son. And how much more does your heavenly father care for you? And then there's a passage that I cling to every week from Philippians 4 that shows us there's power in prayer. Be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's prayer. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Some of you walked in today and you need peace, but I'm telling you, that means you need prayer. There's power in prayer. But that power is impacted by the vessel through which it flows. I've shared this before, but I would just remind you, I cannot say our if my faith has no room for others and their needs. I cannot say Father if I do not demonstrate the divine relationship with Jesus in my life. I cannot say hallowed be thy name if I who am called by his name is, am not holy. I cannot say thy kingdom come if I'm unwilling to let go of my own will and accept the righteous rule of God. I cannot say thy will be done if I'm unwilling or resentful of having that will in my life. I cannot say on earth as it is in heaven unless I am truly ready to give myself to his service here and now. I cannot say give us this day our daily bread without expending honest effort on the needs of others. I cannot say forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, if I continue to harbor a grudge. I cannot say lead us into temptation if I deliberately chose to remain in a situation where I'm likely to be tempted. 
I cannot say deliver us from evil if I'm not prepared to fight an uncompromising spiritual warfare. I cannot say thy kingdom, thine is the kingdom if I do not give the king the disciplined obedience of a loyal subject. I cannot say thine is the power if I fear what my neighbors and friends may say or do about me. I cannot say thine is the glory if I'm seeking my own glory first. And I cannot say forever if I'm too anxious about each day's affairs. I cannot say amen unless I can honestly say, no matter the cost to me, this is my prayer. I'm just trying to tell you, church, we've got it good. We, we've got it good through prayer because of Jesus. We have access to the power of God. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. Any Michigan fans in the house? Anybody watch the national championship? I loved it after that game. Coach Harbaugh's parents were standing there on the field. They were beaming. They were proud of their adult son who would coach the national champions. And this older couple, they began to chant what we found out is a family cheer. It has now become a Michigan cheer where they would say, Who's got it better than us? Nobody. In fact, watch this. See where that came from. You know, eight or eight and a half, and one day when we came out of the house, Dad was going to drive us to school, and we're like, where's the car, Dad? He goes, no car today, boys. We're walking. Grab a basketball. Let's get 100 with the right, 100 with the left. Who's got it better than us? Nobody, Dad. Nobody. That's what I want you to hear. You've got access to the power of God. Thanks to Jesus. Through prayer. Who's got it better than us, church? Nobody. Who's got it better than us, church? Nobody. You're absolutely right. Would you stand to your feet and bow your heads? Oh, church. Now, what are we going to do with what we've learned? I'm calling us to prayer. How silly will it be for me to stand and talk for 40 minutes about what Jesus said and then not do what he said to do? That doesn't even make sense. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm calling you to prayer. And here's what some of you need to do. Even as I'm talking, heads are up, eyes are open. You just kind of need to come and kneel. We're in this temporary meeting place. It's a gymnasium, but there's carpet up here. And you could make the front of this stage like a prayer altar. Or you could go over there by those curtains or kneel here by the front row and just begin to cry out to God and say, God, help me tap in to the power of prayer. And I'm asking you, followers of Christ, who recognize, man, I need that power in my life, begin to come and pray. Even now, as some are doing, just begin to come and pray. And as many are coming, even from that back section, just beginning to come and pray. As others are coming, I, would, I want you to be aware that for some of you, 
The only prayer you can pray that will really make a difference in your life is the prayer of salvation. Because until we cry out to God with the confession of our sin and ask Jesus to be Lord of our life, until we surrender to his will once and for all, man, I hate to break it to you, but our prayers, they don't make it past the ceiling. The psalmist says, if I, if I regard iniquity in my heart, in other words, if I'm living just with sin in my life, my prayers don't have impact. So some of you need to cry out to God and just ask him to save you. And here's the good news. That's not a hard thing to do. The Bible puts it this way. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say whoever prays the prayer the pastor prays. Or whoever does all those things that I mentioned a few moments ago. In another place, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. Just a moment, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, others are going to continue to pray. Some of you may still come and join these who are here now. But some of you need to be saved. Here's what I'm asking you to do. There'll be pastors like myself from this church standing here at the front. I'd like you just to come and take one of our hands and say, I need to pray to be saved today. So Father, that's our desire in Jesus' name. There's a lot of needs. Lord, there are people that desperately need you to give healing in their life. There are relational needs that are being prayed for right now as people kneel. Lord, there are provisional needs that are being prayed for even in this place. And you're able to meet our needs according to your riches and glory. We need you, Lord Jesus. But Lord, the greatest need that anyone has is salvation. Lord, would you save someone today? Would you give someone courage to do what we don't do every week, but to step out of that seat into the aisle, come take the hand of one of the pastors and say, I need to pray to be saved. Lord Jesus, would you do this for your glory? And I ask this in your mighty name even as we begin to cry out to you with our desperate need. Jesus, amen. As we sing, you begin to come. Whatever your need, you step out, you come.